0: listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is episode 12. I've been off the grid for several weeks now. So goes the nature of summer, right? But I'm really excited about the episode I have to share with you today. As you know, I'm always on the hunt for new and inspiring people to connect with whose ideas or works either challenge or call us forward to new levels of understanding in our creativity, our art, and our faith. I recently connected with such a person, and I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. My guest today is Ken Weitzma, and he is a leader, innovator, and social entrepreneur from Bend, Oregon. He is the president of Kilns College, where he teaches courses on philosophy and justice. Ken is the founder of the Justice Conference, an annual international conference which introduces men and women to a wide range of organizations and conversations related to biblical justice and God's call to give our lives away. Ken is a creative consultant and advisor to nonprofits, and a sought after speaker on justice, church and culture. Ken has written several books including Pursuing Justice, The Call to Live and Die for Bigger Things, The Mystery of God and The Necessity of Faith and the book which brought me to reach out to Ken for this conversation piece, which is titled Create Versus Copy Embrace change, ignite creativity, breakthrough with imagination. If you haven't heard of Ken or connected with any of his books, I highly recommend that you go to his website, which is kenweitzma.com, and you spell that K-E-N-W-Y-T-S-M-A.com. We'll have that website on makersandmystics.com if you just go there and look up this episode. So let's dive into the conversation. I recently read your book, Create Versus Copy, and I found it to be tremendously inspiring. Um, So many of the ideas you present, igniting creativity, breaking through with imagination, embracing change, all of these are very close to my own heart and fall right in line with what we've been going after uh, in the Breath in the Clay creative gatherings. So it just inspired me to reach out to you. and. and I appreciate your willingness to talk with me about it. So tell me a little bit about what motivated you to write this book. Uh, I know you've written several of the books prior to this one, but what was really your motivation for this one?
1: Yeah, so probably a couple different threads, I, uh, but I'll just take kind of the sequential one. So I was really looking at the world and people and i study people and i'm a pastor and a leader right and so where people are at kind of matters and i have this kind of um theory that most everybody in the world today just beneath the surface is deeply anxious that we have this kind of latent anxiety that's that's just really there and it's because um nothing's as stable as it once was you know you're not in a career job you're in a job that lasts a year or two but nothing's really safe uh society's changing cultural values are changing people are migrating your relationships or networks your community um, aren't as long-term or stable as they once were so there's just a lot of insecurity and so it's kind of really trying to think that through and just say what does that look like from a leadership standpoint and had the the thought that you know this isn't the first time in the world where things have moved fast or people have had to adapt or evolve or, or whatnot and so, what is it that God has given us as humans made in His image to be able to adapt or evolve or respond to kind of all different changing demands? It's not just emotional, it's it's you know, pastors, the church landscape's changing, nonprofit workers, it's harder to raise funds these days than it, than it once was. Uh, the business world, you know, the online move is changing the way business is done. So it's it's kind of all pervasive across all the aspects of life. How, how would we adapt or, or kind of lean into all this change? And, and then creativity was really the thing I hit on. So it was that God has made us uh, inherently creative, we're made in his image, and that that God-given creativity or imagination is how we can get out in front of this stuff, dream up new possibilities, uh, come up with new solutions, find uh, ways to thrive, not just survive. Um, instead of being in a reactionary mode. Yeah. And so another way of talking about it is how do we how do we walk by faith and not by formula? So the yeah. title yeah. of the book is Create Versus Copy, but I could just as easily say, you know, faith versus formula, mm-hmm. and faith is wild, it's adventurous, it's all about the possible, heck, I don't even know what's around the corner next, but it's okay because um, I wasn't made for a stable, comfortable world, I was made for one where the Holy Spirit can bring about new things and where I can I can sing a new song. So that's kind of where it came from.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the statements that stuck out to me in the book, as you said, uh, it, on that subject, instead of fearing change, welcome movement. Instead of becoming overwhelmed, uh, to align efforts. Instead of falling behind, to create. And what do you see in your world and in your experience that really helps foster... Yeah, changing that mindset in in folks that you encounter from sort of a mindset of anxiety or a mindset of fear over the fast paced change that we're seeing in our culture to one um, that fosters create a creative response.
1: Yeah, I think there's two problems that we've introduced um, into Christian culture, and the first one is just we've allowed people, and we might have even been guilty of communicating to people that they're not creative, you know, and so I always hear this phrase, you know, I don't have a creative bone in my body, you know, and, and in the book, I try and argue that, that to be human is to be creative. So, you know, uh, God said, let us create man. Let's, let us create him in our image. Um, and so he created them male and female in his image. And so that, that hallmark creation verse, the word that's used more than any other word is, is created. And so God is a creative being who creates. And if we're made in his image, if we're kind of a reflection or if we bear traces or or marks, if we're filled with some of the same stuff of God, so to speak, then we must be creative beings who can create as well. And so the distinction is is that we should be saying, I'm not artistic, like I don't have that skill or that talent, but not saying I don't have a creative one in my body. That's actually theologically incorrect. So art, artistic ability is a skill or talent that some people possess, and creativity, on the other hand, is a human trait that everyone possess, possesses. And so we need to start telling people again that they are creative, that they have imaginations, that God made them to be able to, to, to dream things and to kind of find new solutions. And so what goes with that kind of bad theology or bad um, idea of what it means to be human is the second thing, which is we fill everybody up with formulas. And so here's the parenting book that's going to give you the formula on how to parent, you know, and all it is, is somebody that, that had a good kid or what whatnot that writes a book, but everything they're writing is, is pertaining to their experience with that kid, with that personality, given their personality and that, you know, place and time. And it's going to be very different for you to raise your unique kid, right? And And so, you know, God didn't tell us as parents, raise your kid in the way Jerry's kids went. It's raise your kids in the way they ought to go, you know. And so there's this idea of of the formula gets us off track. So church growth movement, here's how you do a church. Uh, Discipleship, here's how you do discipleship. Worship. there's a church called Hillsong. Just do all their songs, and you'll be you'll be fine, you know. And uh, and we can do that for 20 years, and and not realize that nobody's singing a new song, right? So so I think we've we've taken away the idea that everybody's creative and has something to contribute in the body of Christ, and then we've kind of backfilled that with this real how to formulaic way of doing Christianity or faith, and so I don't think people are used to. Uh, that that creative process, or even allowing themselves to dream, they're they're looking for. Oh no, what does what my bag of tricks say I'm supposed to do when when I lose my job, when culture's changing, when this or that or the other? Instead of just going, God, in this unique situation, what would you have me do, and and how can I walk by faith? How can I create uh, as I move forward?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really good. I I think um, several things come to mind. You know, one we. Uh, humans can tend to be creatures of habit. I think you know we we like to uh, find that formula and do what works. But when I think of all of God's interactions uh, with His friends in the Scriptures, I think of Abraham, and, and there's always this this invitation uh, into the unknown, or this invitation to to step right right past what we know. Sure, and I think that's the place of faith um, that uh, you're sort of juxtaposing against that uh, paradigm of doing things.
1: Yeah. Well, formula formula replaces faith, right? So, if faith is eyes closed, then in a very real sense, you don't know what's coming next, you know. But formula is eyes wide open. You know the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step, and And so it becomes a little bit more comfortable, but I think sometimes we got to close our eyes, open our hands and say, God, if you want to speak something new into this context, you can do it and I'll follow you.
0: Yeah. It would almost seem uh, that faith is one of the primary characteristics of creativity to me.
1: Yeah. uh, So there's a lot of synonyms that go with with creativity. (laughs) I'm a big fan of synonyms, you know, because it's hope, optimism, curiosity, uh, faith, believing, trying, failing, um, starting over again, you know, resilience, uh, uh, you know, adventure, inspiration, like all these things kind of revolve around creativity and faith would be a part of that as well. It's, it's really that posture of saying um, the future has, has things in it that I don't yet see. Uh, that can motivate me forward even with a sense of optimism or joy, you know, mm-hmm. so Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, you know and mm-hmm. so when when you can see possibility beyond kind of the dark veil of of what 's right in front of you, um, I think it 's an incredibly powerful part of faith
0: mm-hmm. it 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 feels like to me that relationship with Jesus is one of the most fertile grounds for creative expression uh, that that I've ever experienced. I I know that so much uh, creativity in my own life comes from that relationship, but I don't know that i always see that same uh, line of thought reflected in the way that we do church life. And uh, I know you're a pastor, and um, how have you sort of cultivated that relationship between your walk of faith with Jesus and creative expression in your own community?
1: Yeah, I think... I think it's just that thing. is trying to figure out who you are and who, and who God's called you to be and, and then just going with it. And, and if it doesn't look the way it always looks, then that's fine, right? And so, you know, we have two lead pastors now, which is a new thing, and you don't normally have that at a church. And um, I travel a lot, and our worship guy does a lot of drama and creative arts in the city. And, and some people would look at that and say, well, you know, why aren't you putting your time into your church community and, and you know, this culture would realize, no, by some sense, empowering people to be who they are, it blesses the church community more than if I just sat in my office and read books from, from nine to five. Like I could do that and collect a paycheck and meet with people for lunch, but by leading or following or dreaming or collaborating or networking or partnering, uh, or just moving about the cabin, so to speak, uh, the relationships that get formed, the endeavors that get formed, the possibilities that get formed really end up making our community what it is. So the justice conference emerged from that. Uh, Killen's College emerged from that. The stuff we're doing with thought leaders on race and reconciliation uh, has come from that so that for a church that's pr- predominantly white in the Northwest, we have a, a remarkable amount of people come through leaders of color that are able to help us grow. Um, and that wouldn't that wouldn't be the case if if I wasn't out traveling or doing things and so it's really holding things loosely and instead of saying no saying yes instead of seeing it through critical lens uh seeing it through uh, the lens of faith or positivity um and then and then letting that infect your culture your leadership your leadership culture all that stuff
0: that's good you used um Two different terms in the book that I thought were really beautiful. Uh, One was redemptive creativity, and the other was generous creativity. And uh, you talked in that uh, portion of the book about having our creativity aimed uh, at a purpose or or not just... um, unto its own end, so to speak, but really being purposeful in our creativity. And um, I know with your justice conference, it it seems you really have uh, pointed uh, creativity to have a redemptive and a generous purpose. Um, Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So if if you look at kind of the ends, you know, means and ends, but, you know, what are the ends? Why why do we exist? What is God doing? Um, what are we called to? You know, two verses come to mind. One, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus. And then we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation really means to pull back together again, to heal, to, to make it one, uh, to reconcile it. And that's that's kind of how we understand. I think Jesus's prayer in John 17 before he dies, all he's praying about is that we would be one. May we be one, as he and the Father are one. That, that God would help us be one. And so there's something about oneness or togetherness that's a part of our destiny. And so I think the problem with creativity in modern culture, which has infected the church, is that it that we've let we've let our individualism, which is an not necessarily a good thing it's a negative thing right Um, the the sense that everything really is about me uh, or about my self-expression or about magnifying myself or about drawing attention to myself or about my own experience whatever it is it really comes back to me so we let that individualism hijack and guide our creativity so the creativity is about my creative expression or it's about me making known my thoughts or feelings or it's about me uh, feeling good or it's about uh, you know, whatever it is, it, it really serves individualism. And, and I think we have to be able to call that out and say that's not why God made us creative. Um, God made us creative in a relational sense that says creativity, um, <laughs> creativity in service of your love uh, is going to lead to greater unity. It's going to edify your family, your community, your city, your church. It's going to bring about oneness. It's, it's going to take two people at odds and you're going to stand in the middle and creatively help them figure out how to reconcile and come back together again rather than to have that relationship be breached for, for good. And, and it's going to be creatively using your gifts so that you can bless the church and help draw people into greater discipleship. So it's really, I think, trying to remember who we are as, as people made in the image of God and that when we then have that creativity it's, it's serving that calling uh, or that, that identity as people made in the image of God. Um, so yeah, redemptive creativity, generous creativity, all trying to, to get outside of that individualistic focus that we naturally kind of slap onto things.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. That's really good. Let me piggyback off of what you were just now talking about where, with the individualism. The idea of individualism is something that you do see a lot in artists. It's something that that even I've wrestled through in my own life is is this tension between individualism and community and finding that um, distinct identity and how that relates in the wider context of a community and so that it's not self-serving, but that it can really be generous and it really can reach out beyond just to the end of of your self-expression. I'm curious to know, how you approach that within the artist in your community. How, how do you, um, sort of tackle that individualism and communal? Sure.
1: Well, I think what I'd say, you know, if we're talking about the artists, you know, cause I'm, it's kind of interesting. There's a little bit of a, a subtle, um, fear with the artists that when you're telling the rest of the church, they're creative, the artists kind of get a, a bit, um, wigged out, like, <laughs> You're giving away our space, and and where do we now stand? Kind of, what does that do to us? And I think it points out something we that we've done that's that's uh, that we've done that's been not helpful to artists, those gifted with artistic ability. So, if you talk to sociologists, any group of people will have ten percent that hold a certain gift. So, in the church context, ten percent would have the gift of evangelism, ten percent gift of leadership, ten percent gift of mercy, and we could continue on you know, the gift of teaching and 10% would be artistic. Uh, But the irony is is we take all those other ones, uh, mercy, uh, you're going to do benevolence ministry teaching, you're going to teach the little kids evangelism. Well, you're our hero because you're growing the church, you know, and and we've all those other gifts have a role and they're a part of the body. You know, you're a part of the community and, and your gifts help serve this community with artists. We don't know what to do with them. Um, if they play guitar, they sing great we 'll we'll throw them up on stage. <laughs> if they don't, then, then we really don 't know what to do with them. you 're artistic and you 're different. And we kind of push them out of the community a little bit. So you can come here and worship with us, but you 're different than us. And so we kind of do this weird exclusionary thing so that artists end up feeling oftentimes like they 're on an island. that mm-hmm. nobody understands them, nobody accepts them, they 're kind of on their own. And so they live their life a bit in that island. With other artists that appreciate them, that understand them, and when you're with when you're with only people that have your strength, it's hard to really find your identity, and so you end up being a bit competitive, um, and you know trying to feel like you have to really hold your identity as an artist, that you have to prove yourself, you have to do these kinds of things, um, you know, and so it's it's a really interesting thing, and so what we try to do or try to do from the very get go at Antioch was say no. God has given artists those gifts, like all the other gifts, to edify the church. Um, just like in scripture, you know, go find the artisans and have, a, have them build the temple. Like they have, a, they have gifts and talents, and those are to serve what God is doing with the church community. And so you bring them in, and you let them kind of lead in those areas where they're strong, and everyone benefits. Uh, the arts help us feel That's one of the things they do. Why do we sing worship songs? It's basically singing prayers set to music. Why would we sing prayers set to music? It's because it allows us to feel it that much deeper, you know, or connect with it that much more. And so there's something powerful there. So what we then try to do is with our artists is tell them – that you have more to add than just the music part, um, the aesthetics in this community, the graphic arts. The get together with the person that's doing the benevolence and and see what your creativity um, or artistry can't bring to their ministry. And then we take the people on stage, the guitar, the person who can sing, and we say, "You're not here to entertain us," because that's the default, right? Um, You're standing here, you're playing. If you do a good job, we like you. If you don't do a good job, we criticize you. But it's very much an entertainment-based thing. And we we teach them that um, you are the creative pastors in our midst. Mm -hmm. So artists are the ones that are better at creativity in, in many respects than the rest of us. And pastors equip the body for the work of ministry. So a creative pastor would equip the body for the work of creativity or how to understand creativity within their work. And so we tell the artists, you're not here to entertain us or or service that way. You're here to pastor us as creative pastors in our midst who understand this so much more than we do to draw creativity to the surface and give us an example of how we could live in a more creative fashion. Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden they have a, a, a discipleship, leadership, influence role that's more than just do you look good on stage with, with skinny jeans and the guitar, <laughs> um, but who are you as a person, what are you good at, and how can you speak to my context that I might be able to learn from, benefit from. And that changes the dynamic completely. Now we're in community with artists mm-hmm. instead of the artists having their own community community within or separate from the church.
0: That's a really beautiful picture uh, of integration um, of what you're saying. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always drawn these lines um, between beauty and justice. And I, I think there is... Um, a real correlation. Matter of fact, one of the other podcasts that we did is um, a message on the relationship between beauty and justice. And just tying that in with, with integrating the artist into the community at large, it, it, it just paints a picture for beauty and justice to go hand in hand. And I know um, you've sort of pioneered the justice Conferences, I'd I'd love to know a little bit more about what you do in those and how you see that relationship between beauty and justice or, or creativity and justice uh, going hand in hand.
1: Yes, I mean, right at the surface, I love those concepts and I love seeing them together. Right at the outset, it's it's easy to connect the two. If justice is a well watered garden, um, well watered gardens are beautiful. You know, I mean, it's you can't really separate. Good. Can't separate the sun from the light that emanates from the sun, right? Really and so, so I, I think you can do it that way. You can also say if creativity is how we approach life, um, and justice is something we're aiming for, um, that things would be as they ought to be, then then creativity is one of the best weapons or tools that we can employ to try to bring about justice. So, a broken education system, well. We, we can approach it like blockheads, um, and we're probably not going to reform it that quickly or that well. But if we're creative and, and imaginative and passionate, um, we can probably bring about a better education system a lot faster, right? Wow. So so I think those things right on the outset work closely. But a friend of mine, Vainette de and who's a theologian in uh, Australia, really put me on to something a bit more subtle, and I'd say more profound. And that's that you know, creativity, which is at the service of relationship, like I was talking about being one and together. Um, he points to Genesis one and says, when God was going to create people to be in relationship with his first acts of creativity were to make space for that relationship. Mm-hmm. So there has to be land, which is going to be separate from the water and, and, and uh, night from day. And uh, yeah, I mean, air from sea and whatever. Uh, but but like a painter who's stretching the ca- uh, canvas before he paints, um, God was stretching out his creation to make space uh, for people to live and for people to live well, right? Uh, to flourish. And so there's a real connection between creativity and making space for life. And, and so when you begin to realize that, like, uh, there's something profound about, um, uh, about welcoming a refugee. You know, like hospitality, friendliness to strangers. uh, When they come over, they didn't have space to live in their own land. They couldn't flourish. They come here and they get a, you know, welcome, come, here's this space. There's something beautiful about it. There's something just about it. But it's our creativity that's involved in helping find that space for them to live. Right. Mm -hmm. and It all kind of goes together. In another way, uh, you know, there's so many ways we could chase this down. Jesus says of the temple, which was where people were supposed to find space to be with God, tear this temple that was made in 40 years down uh, and I'll build a new temple in three days. In other words, I'm going to create space for you to be together with God um, through my own life, death and resurrection, you know, and so creating And ultimately, that creation goes towards um, making space for us to live or to live together. Uh, And so Vayner would take it all the way to apartheid and say, whenever you see injustice, it's usually removing land, Mm -hmm. removing the freedom to move about uh, freely, removing kind of these kinds of things. And when we talk about the promised land, when you take the uh, Israelites out of slavery, and they're going to be... Taken it and put into a place we call that the Promised Land. In other words, God was taking you out of injustice in creating space for you to live. And if you remain obedient, what's going to happen? It'll flourish. Your crops will will yield their fruit, and I'll bless the land. Um, and so this idea of land, this really profound space to live as it was supposed to be. Um, and so these things kind of begin to to be very interconnected that way. Um, Justice, creativity, space for people to flourish and, and and be able to have life.
0: Wow, that's really amazing. Uh, I think I'm going to go back and listen to this several times for that section. <laughs> that's really awesome. Uh, one other thought that I had, and and it it sort of goes in with that as well, because as we uh, sort of create uh, just environments in in our communities, and in, in our nation, and hopefully in the world. Um, there's a real element of the imagination. You know, we have to be able to see uh, something different. Uh, we have to be able to see the possibilities um, and then go there. And one thing I've often spoken myself is back in Genesis, one of the first things you see happening with between god and adam is god sort of cultivating his imagination in the naming of the animals and yep. uh so i see the imagination as a real primary function of creativity and uh of our humanity and yep. it, it seems to be so easy when i watch my kids and you know everything uh is possibility there's there's just uh, everything is a, a playground you know but as we as we grow older and uh, society uh, sometimes uh, dictates that necessity and utilitarian function is more rewarding sure. uh, than imagination and play, uh, you, you have sort of a breakdown uh, in us as adults, and I'm curious uh, to hear some of your thoughts about how to keep imagination alive and how to continue to cultivate a healthy imagination uh, as an adult.
1: Yeah, I think it's you know what you're asking there is is putting your finger right on it, and one of the things I always say to people that don't think they're creative is I is I, I basically ask them you know who names their pets and um, you know because nobody delegates the naming of their pet to somebody else you know and and that act of naming your child or your pet is is really living into the the ultimate first command of creativity that God gave Adam right was was go out and and you come up with it. You do it, you know. And, uh, and so, um, so yeah, I think that's pretty profound. But children are born imaginative, and I think we, we know this, and studies uh, demonstrate it. And I refer to a study that was kind of made popular by the British um, creative thinker in the, in the realm of education, uh, Sir Ken Robinson. But it's, it's a study that was done uh, on divergent thinking. And divergent thinking is basically how many different ways of seeing a question can you come up with? And so if you're given a paperclip and how many different uses are there to this paperclip, if you come up with about a dozen, you're pretty dull, a few dozen, and, and you're pretty smart. But if you come up with over 100, the, the people doing the study called you a genius, right? So what if the paperclip can float? What if it can fly? What if it's really strong and we link it together with other paperclips and it holds an anchor of a ship? You know, what if, you know, you know what I mean? Like you begin to come up with all these different things. It's, it's, a, it's an instance of divergent thinking. And a group of kindergartners were given a test on divergent thinking, and 98% of them tested at the genius level. And it was a longitudinal study, which meant the same group of kids were, were tested again five years later, and then again five years later. And each time they were tested, the number of those that scored at the genius level was cut in half. And what you really see is how imagination begins to work itself out um, as we grow up. And so to grow up or to mature or to become more of an adult is often tantamount with losing your sense of imagination, uh, which is a shame. So wh- how does that happen? One of the ways is we socialize kids. When everybody has their own idea and is dreaming and being very creative, it's hard to control them. You know, So we begin to socialize them to, 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 to knock it off, to get in line, um, and to, to be a little bit easier to control or a little bit more focused the way we'd want them to focus, which isn't necessarily bad. Uh, and then education, standardized testing is a huge way that we would begin to teach kids that instead of there's a hundred different answers to one question, there's only one answer to one question. And if you get it wrong, we're gonna we're gonna tell you and you know, and, and then you're gonna fall behind and we're gonna you know, you're gonna be judged. So now instead of dreaming, it's all about rote memorization of You know, learning what everyone else says is the answer to that one question. So there's there's a lot of things that have to do with this, but but the result, end result is, is we start uh, we start creative, we start imaginative, and we lose it over time. And I think C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and G.K. Chesterton have some wonderful things to say to this, Um, and and we could do a whole podcast on just that. But they really had this view of fairy tales um, that was profound and. Um, Tolkien says, you know, the poet talks about um, the river running with wine to remind us that it runs with water. Um, you know, and, and uh, Tolkien's most quoted book outside of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the one that a lot of doctoral theses are on, is his book on fairy stories. Um, and Lewis, uh, who loved fairy stories and fantasy Talked about the reason he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia was not necessarily to write to kids. So using a children's book, you know, not necessarily to talk to children, but because children's the genre of children's literature is sometimes the best genre for saying something true about the world. So Lewis, it wasn't necessarily about the audience age, but but the vehicle by which he could speak about truths in the world that wouldn't necessarily fit into an adult genre. And so at the beginning of The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, when he's dedicating it to his goddaughter, Lucy, uh, he writes this to her. And at the bottom, he says, may we all grow old enough to, to read fairy tales once again. Mm-hmm. And so for Lewis, it was we start young and we understand that the world's magic and, and we have these big imaginations. Um, the world is charged with wonder and awe. And we, we grow out of that. And we become a bit dull if you will. And I think what Lewis is saying is if we mature beyond adulthood, um, then we get back to this really beautiful place where we understand what is true and beautiful about the world. And we recapture that sense of wonder and awe. And we're able to read fairy stories once again and and understand that they speak to some really deep truths or magical truths about the world. So I think what we take away from this is – we're born imaginative, it's like a muscle that, that you either develop or it can atrophy, and that that imagination is, is what's gonna help us dream up different solutions to, to problems that we're facing, different ways to do ministry than what we've seen or, or are copying, mm-hmm. um, and, and even help us have enough imagination to apprehend what God might be doing in our midst, through our struggles, in our pain, um, rather than just having, you know, there's two options. Either I'm, I'm hurting right now or I'm doing good. And if I'm doing good, praise be to God. If I'm hurting right now, then then I'm angry at God. You know, I mean, imagination helps us see that there's different possibilities on the table. God could be working us towards something else, that this might line up with that, that we might be able to empathize with someone else in our life because we feel the pain that they feel like. So that imagination ends up in a very practical way, shaping all of life. Mm-hmm.
0: But Ken, thanks for sharing your thoughts and uh, just for following this path, man. I'm super inspired by what you're doing and by what you've shared today. And I really appreciate you and, and all that you're doing.
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate it.